0: This episode of Snow the Goalie is brought to you by Cinch by Amerigas. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, when you look outside, it's beautiful weather and maybe, maybe that Memorial Day cookout used up all the propane you had in your tank and you've had that old nasty tank that just kind of sat outside for a while maybe it was in your shed maybe it was in your garage heck maybe you haven't touched it in two or three years and you've been thinking about getting rid of it getting a new propane tank and filling up so that you can go out and grill especially with things just starting to reopen we're in the yellow phase in most counties some in the green phase lucky you out there in the in the sticks doesn't matter you go to cinch.com put in your address and cinch will deliver a new propane tank to you For just $10, if you use the promo code ITSLIT5, again, that's I-T-S-L-I-T-5, use the code ITSLIT5, you can get a brand new tank delivered to your doorstep for just $10, plus they'll take away that old, decrepit, nasty, gunky tank that you've had sitting wherever, they'll take it away, and if you don't have a tank, by the way, use our code ITSLIT5, and they'll bring you a brand new propane tank full Uh, to your front doorstep for just $49.99. So that's a nice thing that they'll do. Maybe you're a new homeowner, you just got a grill, you haven't had one before, and you don't have a tank. They'll do that so you don't have to take the tank to the convenience store for the swap. No, no, they'll bring it to your doorstep. Again, cinch.com, C-Y-N-C-H.com. Use our promo code, It's lit 5 And by the fine folks over at DraftKings Sportsbook. And they've got an awesome awesome promotion running right now for all Flyers fans and well also Penguins fans, but we don't care as much about them. It's called PA all the way. And this is what they say, Pennsylvania. We want you to cash in. If either the Penguins or the Flyers win it all boosted to plus 1000 odds. So as long as either the Flyers or the Penguins walk home, skate home, fly home with the Stanley cup, you win plus 1000 odds fantastic only available at DraftKings Sportsbook don't forget when you sign up either go through crossingbroad.com and follow the links there or just go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the promo code crossingbroad that's one word crossingbroad on today's show it is a a rip in good time with former Flyer he won a championship in Philadelphia when he was a member of the phantoms no other championship we'll get into that a little bit later patrick sharp (laughs) of nbc sports joins the show and oddly enough the one who makes him uncomfortable in this interview is not me it's anthony sanfilippo
1: well i think that there was one question that you asked that was
0: a little bit uncomfortable as well without further ado get into the interview (laughs) and uh Join that, us on the you other don't side. Want, we'll reflect. You don't want me to bring it up. In. Nope. Let the people get in and we'll reflect <laughs> on the other side. And we have a lot of other things that we need to break down. We've got some big news from the fifth most popular hockey podcast in these United States of America. That's right. Per Apple podcasts per Chartable, number five in the nation, only behind some ESPN spitting chiclets and, and two shows from Sportsnet up in Canada. That's right, Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, number five hockey podcast in the United States, and charting around the world in six countries. Without further ado, Patrick Sharp.
1: Hi, my name is Ali Coach of the Flyers.
2: Hey, I'm Travis Connectney. Hi, I'm Paul Hoogren. Hi, I'm Matt Neskno. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Faraby. Hi, it's Derek Grant. Hi, this is Rob Clark. Hey, you're, you're listening, listening to Snow the Goalie. 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 Snow the
0: Goalie. Oh, yes! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to Snow the goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the people's podcast, the players' podcast, the prognosticators' podcast, the Pedialyte podcast, the Pampers podcast, the presidential podcast. We called it the Podcast Canubacast, Prongercast, the Patrick Sharpcast. That's right, a man who we all know as a Calder Cup champion, uh, a man who won that championship in Philadelphia and never won another championship in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, Patrick Sharp. Let Patrick, me stop you
1: for a second. Russ. No,
0: I know where you get. No, no, no. That's the only championship you ever won in Philadelphia. We have expunged his record so that he can appear on this show. He is not banned. Patrick Sharp from now NBC. We, uh, ja ja. Thank you for joining the show. All right.
2: What an introduction. Wow. I was not expecting that, but um, good to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Fun to talk some old Philadelphia days. It's been a while. It's uh, Hopefully, I got some. I got some memories up here in my head. I don't know if it's going to match up to the correct timeline or what actually happened, but I'll give you my best memories. Well,
1: I'll. I'll I like to think that I have a, pretty down to a science. So hopefully, my <laughs> timeline is is accurate, and then you'll be like, you'll be like, oh yeah, I kind of remember that. Uh, but we're really what we like to start off with every time we do one of these episodes is we like to really. I like to ask guys about where they grew up, and, and mostly it's because a lot of you guys grew up in Canada in these small towns or towns that most people down here have no idea where they were. Now I know you were born in Winnipeg and you spent a little bit of time in Calgary, but you grew up in Thunder Bay. Uh, could, could tell us a little bit about Thunder Bay and what that, that kind of area is like, because it's not, and this is one of the things I talked about with, with, uh, with Prongs last week is like, cause he's from Dryden. Yes. You know, everybody hears Ontario and they think Toronto, they think Ottawa, but there is a whole mass of the rest of the province that's so far away. And Thunder Bay is one of those places.
2: Yeah, it is. It's up in northern Ontario. It's funny you mentioned Prongs and Dryden because we claimed him from Dryden in Thunder Bay. We also claimed Duncan Keith, who's from Fort Francis, which is another small town much like Dryden. Uh, Thunder Bay has got 100,000 people, at least it did when I was growing up. It was just an awesome place to grow up. It was baseball for, I want to say, six or eight weeks in the summer, very short summer in Thunder Bay. And then it was hockey the rest of the way. And as we got older, uh, there's a couple summer tournaments that we'd go to. Uh, it was just awesome. I had a great group of kids my age who are a couple years older and younger that you know, ended up playing in the National Hockey League. You think a small town from Ontario, 100,000 people. Uh, there's the, the four Stahl brothers that we all know, Eric, yeah. Jordan, Mark, uh, played in the National Hockey League and won Stanley Cups. Jared played a game in the National Hockey League as well. Uh, Taylor Pyatt and his brother Tom, Alex Alt, the goalie, Carter Hutton, now, I'm missing a bunch of people. The Johnsons, um, myself, there's been a lot of uh, championships brought back to that small town. A lot of guys represent the city and the NHL. So uh, I got fortunate to grow up in a great place that promoted hockey. I had an older brother who played hockey, so I kind of just followed in his footsteps.
1: Now, did you guys have like an outdoor rink that like you guys used to play in? You talk about the weather being cold up there. Did you, did you have a place where you went to, or was it just, you know, go down to the local indoor rink and... Uh and really refine your game there?
2: Yeah, a little bit of both. There was a ton of outdoor rinks. Every school, high school, elementary, you name it, had one. Uh, Every field you looked to had one, and all our friends had them in their backyards. So that was probably the most fun we had was was some modified game of hockey uh, in our buddy's backyard where we spend all afternoon one day uh, enjoying playing the game and having all mini tournaments Um, But I got I was born in 81. So I was playing in the mid 90s. And it was all about uh, getting on the ice as much as you can. And so we as a team, uh, we were on the ice pretty much every day, either playing a game or practicing. So I'm lucky to play so much hockey as a kid.
1: So your your first team uh, was uh, uh, the Thunder Bay Kings, correct? That's right. Yeah. They were originally known as the Thunder Bay Flyers. <laughs> um, but, oh uh, no, that was the second team you played for. That was the USHL, correct?
2: Yeah, that's the junior team in Thunder Bay. So the Kings was the AAA okay. team. Uh, we all played okay. on little club teams uh, growing up. At age 13, 14, 15, it was the Kings AAA system. Uh, a ton of players have gone through the system uh, into professional hockey. And it was it, clicking along great. I had great competition in the city of Thunder Bay. And, it turned out that I went away for one season to play junior hockey with my brother and then came back and played two years at home again, lived with the family, obviously had mom and dad helping me through at age 16 and 17. So uh, th- that was the Thunder Bay Flyers years and then it was off to Vermont.
1: Right. Was there ever a thought of playing major junior uh, rather than going to college or was were you like, I, I want to play college hockey, get that college degree if I can?
2: Uh, I wanted to go the best route for me, to be quite honest with you, and that's the advice I'll give to a lot of kids trying to make that decision now. I know the game's a little bit different as far as the rules and regulations, but back then it was it was one or the other. It was Ontario Hockey League or it was try to play in the U.S. somewhere. And uh, most kids from my hometown wanted to play in the OHL. I certainly did as well. I was drafted by the Peterborough Petes, and when it was time to go uh, try out for the team, I just felt like. I was taking a big risk at that time in my life and career I was pretty underdeveloped physically I was a smaller player and the game was putting a huge emphasis on toughness and you know whether it's fighting or hitting I uh, just got to be tough you got to get to the net you got to get to the inside same toughness that's in the game today but a little more physical play back then and I just felt that if I went there to Peterborough and and things didn't work out then now I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot as far as college options or university options so it's a good decision in hindsight. It gave me time to develop my skills, develop physically. And, and I went to college at later anyway. 18 or 19 was my first year, drafted late in the NHL. And it worked out. Who's, who knows what would have happened if I went to the OHL at that point in my life. But I got no regrets. I'm happy with how things played out.
1: Were there other schools you were considering besides Vermont?
2: <laughs> Not really, which was kind of neat about the whole situation. <laughs> my roommate in junior that year was a good friend of mine, Bryson Busnick who was actually my brother's age, two years older, but we became best friends in junior hockey. He was committed to go to Vermont. So when he was at the school a year before I was, he was kind of in the coach's ear saying, hey, I know this young 17-year-old playing in Thunder Bay that's a pretty good player. You might want to take a look at him. They were the first school to really make contact uh, and offer me a scholarship. My dad pretty much said, listen, this place is awesome. You're going to this school. You're going to enjoy it. I agreed 100%. Uh, Went in as a freshman, got to play a lot. Our team was solid. We, uh, we won a playoff round in the ECAC. Great guys on that team. But I got a lot of ice time as a freshman, and that helped my development as well. Had I gone to a different school or taken another opportunity, uh, who knows? Maybe I'm fighting as a freshman does for ice time a lot of times. So, again, I look back on my career. I'm very lucky with decision-making. Had a great support system growing up. and Can't thank those people enough.
1: Does playing that freshman year of Vermont – do you think that's what gets you on the radar for NHL scouts for yeah, the, for the eventual 2001 draft?
2: I would think so. The USHL was the league that the Flyers were playing in back then. Um, it was credible. It, a lot of good players went there, but it was mostly an 18, 19, 20 year old league. I was playing in that league at a young age. So I had caught some attention, but today's USHL uh, is much more mo- notoriety with the league today. So it's a little bit different a couple decades later, uh, but going to college hockey, I, I had the same approach in Vermont as I did in Philadelphia. I didn't know where I was going to land. you know I was just trying to get better at each level, going from Peewee hockey to Bantam to junior. and now this is another step along the way. I'm at a. US college uh, in in the states, I'm in Vermont. you know I got a great opportunity to go to school for a couple semesters, get big and strong and then I'm thinking maybe you know 22, 23 I can take a crack at professional hockey, but that first year really was big for my development, got drafted by the Flyers and then we got going from there.
1: Now, did the Flyers contact you uh, in advance? Like, did you have any idea that they were interested in you? Had you talked to any of the scouts or anything like that? Or were you just flying blind at that point?
2: Flying blind, you know. (laughs) No agents, no uh, contact with the NHL at all. Uh, The Blackhawks actually came or sent somebody to uh, the school to work out my roommate at the time. Uh, We had contact with one of the teams, I believe, San Jose sent a letter to the dorms or something. My memory is a little foggy, but very little contact. And, and come draft day, I was, I was just hoping to get picked. Uh, back then, it was three rounds on day one, and the following uh, rest of the drafts, the second day. And uh, my goal was to try to get in that first day, um, the first top three rounds. And sure enough, Philly took me late in round three. Uh, no idea Philadelphia was interested in taking me as a player, but it kind of made a lot more sense once I got to Philly and started to figure things out.
0: Did Is there you? Any did kind you go? To- oh, go ahead, Russ. in that like it's good to get picked in the first day you were excited about it but like did you kind of feel like come on guys what took so long versus if it's the second day and you're one of the first picks it's like "Ooh, look at this
2: yeah i'm honestly that draft um it's cool if you're a top pick if you can guarantee you're going in a top 10 position or maybe even the first round then i could see how it would be pretty cool to bring your family and friends to the draft and experience that but It's not fun waiting around to get picked, Uh, I can tell you that. And these kids that are at a young age, I remember myself back then, I wasn't really, like, developed, uh, mature enough to kind of handle those emotions. I was looking at players getting drafted that I felt I was as good as or better had played against, and it was, like, really frustrating. I'm glad we decided to stay at home. That was a decision that my father and and my mom made together. We felt like, let's enjoy the day. Let's be happy when uh, I get drafted instead of, you know, getting all caught up in the emotions of being at the draft.
1: So you you come to Philly and uh, uh, you you really make your debut um, with the Flyers in 03-04, so pre lockout, which was a whole different obviously a whole different world of hockey than before than what came afterwards. Um, that team we had uh, we we had some discussions about this previously where we thought that that team I had Ken Hitchcock on the the as on the pod and uh, it was probably the best Flyers team to not win a Stanley Cup. What is your, and you, I know you were kind of up and down. I think you played 41 games or something like that, that that year. But what is your recollection and remembrance of that team as it was kind of coming together during the regular season, getting ready to make the run to the conference finals that year?
2: I think it played a huge role in, um, in my individual career down the line to watch some of those great players on the team. That season, the 3 04 season, I think, is what you're referring to, the year that Tampa Bay ended up winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah. They beat yeah. us, the Flyers, in Game 7 at home. Uh, I agree with you. The Flyers had a team that could win the Stanley Cup. There's no doubt about that. Now, we're not making excuses. We're not saying what if or this could have happened. But we had some injuries on our back end, significant injuries. Kim Johnson, our best defenseman, was playing with a broken hand, all casted up. I wasn't given much as the fourth line center. Keith Primo was taking double shifts. It was unbelievable to watch some of the performances by these older players. Uh, I was just kind of an extra forward, getting the experience, filling in when needed to. Um, But I learned a lot, man. I learned a lot from guys like Primo, the way that he prepared every game during that playoffs to really, he dominated some of those games on an individual level. Jeremy Roenick with that great shot to beat the Maple Leafs, to win the series was awesome. I remember that huge celebration. I actually did that celebration The following year, I scored a goal in the uh, Calder Cup Finals against Chicago, and as I curled around the net, I started running on my skates like JR, and I was thinking, like, this is what JR did last year. I did the same thing. Um, At the moment, I really wasn't a key contributor to that team, and I was kind of staying out of the way, but I drew from a lot of those experiences later in my career with the Chicago Blackhawks, for sure.
1: Now we move on to the next season. And I mean, that's the big season with the phantoms, obviously, you know, that's where I got to know you, uh, as a, you know, as a person and not only just a player, um, That season was unique in the sense that it was probably the best season the AHL's ever had uh, because there were so much NHL talent. I mean, 23 players who played for the Phantoms that year went on to play in the NHL after that season. It just goes to show how deep it was. Um, What do you kind of remember about that? I mean, you were named an alternate captain on that team. um, So, you know, you were being looked at as a leader by the organization, even though you were only, you know, 22 23 years old going into that um so like w- what do you remember about that at the beginning before we get to the obviously the, the the championship but you know going into that season what was that like for you
2: I remember thinking I was pretty lucky that I had a place to play uh, at that point I, I was up and down in the minors at that point in my career I was still on an entry level deal so I could easily go locker room to locker room at the old skate zone in Horgies, which I did a lot of times uh, <laughs> early in my career Uh, But I just remember thinking, this is great. I get to stay in the the same apartment here in New Jersey. I get to go to the same practice rink, see all the same faces, and just focus on playing hockey here with a great team. Um, At that point, I wasn't an NHL player. I know I had played half the season in the playoffs the year before, but I needed to play. I needed to get better. And that year in the minors was awesome. Every team across the board, I would say, had three, four guys that took a huge step the following a few years and were impact players in the NHL. Our team was one of them. Um, John Stevens was the head coach who was really sending the message of the organization how they wanted flyers to play hockey uh, from the top so it was great learning system for me to kind of learn from John every day and then be ready for that when the NHL does start up maybe I'm one of those guys that could go up It was a fun year. Um, with all the uncertainty going on with the work stoppage, I could just focus in with a couple buddies on the team and we could play hockey as normal. And it was a big year in the development of my career for sure.
1: So I want to talk about just being, you know, looked at as a leader. I mean, that was a vet, there was some good veterans on that team. I mean, you know, little had been around forever. Uh, Slaney was the captain, but there was a, if you remember, there was one extra veteran and they had a, Johnny had to sit out a veteran player every game. Because, you were, you know, the AHL rule, you're only allowed so many. And so one guy had to sit out. So you had a lot of veteran guys, and, and here you are, at, you know, 22, and you're playing every game, and you're the alternate captain. I mean, that, did that create any kind of, you know, uneasiness for you or any kind of friction that you, you felt, or no?
2: I was so clueless back then, to be honest with you. I was just playing hockey, trying to learn every day and what was going on. I made a lot of early mistakes in my career, but that team was pretty close. And you mentioned some of those names that were veteran leaders in the American Hockey League. John Slaney, it doesn't get much more veteran in the American Hockey League than John Slaney. What an incredible career he had. Maybe Mm -hmm. the greatest player of all time in that league. Now he's kind of running the show from the back end. John Stevens, I mentioned, was a great leader. I looked at him as almost like a a player coach at sometimes. The intensity that he had behind the bench, um, I could tell he was going to coach at the next level, which he is today. Neil Little was awesome. I mean, MVP off the ice for sure. I always orchestrated the, the team events and had that team bonding atmosphere going on. He was at the center of attention all the time. There were a ton of young, great players on that team. Uh, maybe the organization was, was sending me a message at that point, third-round pick, played in the NHL with experience. All right, we want to lean on you now. It's time to wear that letter. Occasionally, Ryan Reddy was the guy that was always an assistant captain as well as my roommate. So, again, I'm just surrounded by great players, veteran guys that I can look up to. And I got the organization supporting me 100%, giving me a lot of ice time, helping me in certain situations. It was like I, I can't, you know, thank them enough for giving me that opportunity those couple of years.
1: Yeah, I was, it, was, it was a real fun year. You had that great streak, if I remember, early in the season. Um, we won, I think it was 17 in a row or something like that. It was, it was, pretty, it was pretty special. Um, but before we get to later in that year, you know, that was the first year Craig Berube – was an assist a full time assistant coach. I know the year before he was a player coach, right? Yeah, but th- yeah. that was the first time he was behind the bench. Obviously, he's the defending Stanley Cup championship winning coach. What would what do you remember him uh, as being, a, you know, being a coach, an assistant coach? And did you ever have a thought that, you know what, this guy's going to be a successful head coach at some point down the line?
2: At that point, um, I was just in awe of the respect that he was getting league wide in the American League at that point. He had played a handful of games for us. The previous year, as you mentioned, Anthony, now he's behind the bench as a coach. I mean, the name Craig Berube carries some weight. His playing career speaks for itself, what he was able to do on the ice. Um, And he was a great guy to the younger players on the team. I was a forward. He was kind of at our end of the bench as the assistant coach. So a lot of times he'd have things for me in my ear after shifts, really helped me get better as a player. And then as I saw him kind of graduate into the NHL as a head assistant coach and eventually head coach, I thought, yeah, this is the guy that you you want to play for guys like this, you know? These are guys that you you feel as though I mentioned how John Stevens was kind of like a player coach. You felt like it wasn't like this guy's the boss and I'm going to do what he says. You felt like they were in the fight with you. And when last year watching Barubi coach in St. Louis, I kind of saw that from his group of players, right? They all played a physical brand of hockey. They were great defensively. They stayed above their checks. They were hard to play against. That's kind of what the coach wants, doesn't it? Isn't that how Craig Ruby likes to play the game? So, uh, I knew there was a lot of good people in the Flyers organization at that point, from the top to the head coach. The training staff was awesome. I'm wearing a, a Derek Settlemeyer t shirt right now. He's got a skate <laughs> sharpening company yeah. going on. He was our trainer at the Phantoms those years. Um, just surrounded by great people and it's, it's awesome to see how much success has come out of Philadelphia from those early teams.
1: So I mean and I, I know I'm going a little bit out of order here but so when you talk about watching that St. Louis team last year with Barubi, you know as an analyst did, did you really get a sense early on with the way that they were playing towards the end of the regular I mean obviously they met, they had to come from the last they were last place in the league in January but obviously they had a big mountain to climb but did you get a sense going into that playoff that you know what, the way this team's playing, they're going to be the toughest team to beat. And as it it turned out, they win the whole thing.
2: Yeah, it even took me a while in the playoffs to give them the respect that they deserve, to be honest with you. I was waiting for them. Oh, what a nice story. Last place. They make the playoffs. Let's see what happens. And all of a sudden, playoff hockey kicks in. And I know the game relies a lot these days on speed and skill and fancy plays and power plays. Well look at the two teams in the Stanley Cup final last year, Boston, St. Louis, they play a very difficult style of play to match up against, right? And St. Louis was doing that, finished every check. Line one through line four kind of looks the same out there. They're all working hard. They're supporting each other. Uh, that's the way Craig Groovy kind of played the game. He was in your face. He was hard to play against. And that looking back on it, nobody should be shocked with the success the Blues had, the way they were
0: playing. Let me take this a little bit further off the beaten path now. Go ahead. So you, you mentioned that. St. Louis and Boston both tough teams, both kind of in a sense buck the trend of of the way that a lot of teams have been built. Do you think that there's just been this overcorrection, this the the movement to such micro analytics that now certain front offices are trying to build these teams based on what they think a model says they should versus what you saw in St. Louis as a good old-fashioned hockey team? Do you feel like the the league is kind of trending in a direction that maybe is going the wrong way?
2: I don't know. It's tough to say the league is. I mean, every team has different organizational philosophies, how they want to have a product on the ice. You look at different teams across the league, they all play different. So I don't know if there's one right way or wrong way. I look at the teams that I was on that was successful in the National Hockey League. It was a combination of everything. We had the smaller, skilled, speedy type players. We had the big, tough, strong guys. We had good depth at every position. I mean, there's a winning formula. It's the National Hockey League. Everybody seems to know it. That's one thing. It's about executing it, putting those wheels in motion, having the perfect team come together. Uh, that's when you really get fortunate. And so I don't know if there's a right or wrong way to do it.
1: I'm, I'm going to go back to the to the Phantoms year, oh four, oh five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you guys have a great year, but the East, the Eastern Conference, was really good. I mean, Binghamton, with all the young Ottawa Senator players, were 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 really good. scranton Wilkesbury was probably not as talented, but they were a tough team to play against. Yeah. Um, yeah, even even Norfolk and Providence, I mean, those teams were 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 decent teams, and Norfolk was the Blackhawks affiliate. Providence was the, the Bruins affiliate. Um, was was getting Mike and Jeff for the playoffs. The, the difference maker for the Phantoms to really elevate above and beyond those other teams who were really good as well?
2: Tough to argue with that. You know, <laughs> you're adding two great forwards to your lineup that performed in every round of the playoffs. It's going to help you. I didn't think they were going to have the impact that they did when we first got them. I knew they were good. They were coming off huge. Uh, CHL, Canadian junior hockey careers. I was just wanted to see what they could do on the ice. And then both of them, right from the first game, you're like, okay, these guys are legit. Not only did we have a great team that could win a Cup, perhaps before we added these two guys, now we're in business. We're that much deeper across the board. R.J. Umberger had a great season that year as a centerman. Now he's finding his way with, with Jeff Carter, Mike Richards. I slide over to the wing. John Sim had a great year that year. I'm not even sure how many goals he scored, but he came to our team right around when we took off with that regular season winning streak. The only pick in it was a great defender, Seidenberg was a stud on the back end i like guys like randy jones freddie meyer you mentioned john slaney i mean i'm starting to name names but like yeah you look around the room and those are great players that i mentioned i didn't even mention the toughness and the intimidation factor that our team had as well you can go up and down the line with some of those guys that have rolled through philly um we knew we were ready to roll and even though you have that feeling that you could win a few rounds and maybe take a crack at the cup you never know you gotta you gotta play each period each shift and all the cliches come into play but I knew I liked our chances at the start of this playoffs for sure.
1: What, what do you remember, I guess, about that final series? Because that Chicago team, um, that was an interesting thing what ended up with them because they had. They had worked out a trade with San Antonio, if I'm not mistaken, for like the top Florida prospects. Right. But it was just, they were just borrowing them. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't really a trade. Like they were just, bu- it was something that when I re- remember writing the story saying, how is this legal? Like they're yeah. just borrowing players from another team that they're going to give back. Um, and I kind at of least thought, our guys
2: at least our guys wrong clearly we drafted them right us, but they're just getting these great players coming from everywhere what
1: yeah, and I was thinking there i 'm saying to myself you know this this just seems unjust I, I wonder if did that have any impact for you guys like you know let's go out and show them that you know we've been together all season that you can add whoever you want we 're still going to be the better team in the end
2: uh maybe I think maybe a small uh factor of uh-huh. that played a role, but I think at that point when you're in the, uh, the Calder Cup final and you've played that many weeks and months of extra hockey and you're that close with the group to, to take the final step, you're, you're like laser focused on what's going on. And that, at least how I remember how I felt um, during that Chicago series. We came and played two games to start the series in Chicago. Uh, won them both, won in overtime. Then we won a one-goal game, I think, the next night mm-hmm. or whatever the scenario was. Anyway, we came back home with a chance to win the Cup and not have to get on a plane and not have to continue this season. I mean, that's a long season for anybody. Did it at the age of 32, 33. But at this point, I'm 20-something years old. It's It's even longer at that point because you're just learning the ropes of professional hockey and how many games and what a long schedule it really is. So at that point, you want to be there for your team Don't make any critical mistakes, uh, but let's get going here. We're that close. We put all this work in. Let's not slip away here.
1: Were you surprised that the fans, as many fans, got behind that team as they did that year? Because it's still, I think it's still a record for a playoff game in the AHL attendance, those games three and game four against Chicago filled that building. But I'll, I'll even go further back and say, even in the previous rounds when we were playing at well, it's Wells Fargo now. It was Wachovia yeah. Center then. Um, those, The building was pretty full for the earlier rounds as well. Did, did that kind of surprise you guys to say, here we are an AHL team filling NHL buildings?
2: It gave us a boost for sure. And yeah. that year, one of our huge uh, advantages was playing at home um, at the Spectrum, right? That was always a huge Phantoms advantage. It's like right. these teams that you're playing up against have been just getting off the bus on a Sunday afternoon. They don't want to come to the Spectrum and face what we're about to throw at them. Physically, right? All the guys that we had in our team that could compete every night. When we went over to the big clubs uh, building across the parking lot, all of a sudden the fans were there. We started wearing those uh, bright purple uniforms. Right. They were kind of like our third jerseys, and we started winning every time we were in that situation. It was like, yeah, there was a huge buzz going on. Uh, the attendance was going up and up in those final games against uh, the Wolves in Chicago. The final one, especially, it was an NHL atmosphere, playoff atmosphere. The city was going nuts. It was really cool, to be quite honest with you. It just shows you what the city of Philadelphia and those sports fans are like. Um, Phantoms fans are one of a kind. They're there for you through and through. But when the building is full, everybody's cheering for the Phantoms, rocking these bright purple jerseys. It definitely gave us a boost, I think. We wanted to wrap things up in front of that crowd.
1: So the next season, you come back, uh, the league comes back, and you're on the roster in uh, 05-06. And to this day... Uh, and I wrote it then and I stand by it now Pat it the what the worst trade Bobby Clark ever made it was it was trading you for Matt Ellison and a third round pick Matt Ellison never made it into the NHL and the, I don't think that the Flyers really did anything with that third round pick either he um, played.
0: Ellison played 5 games
1: yeah, he, he didn't really do anything in the NHL played five trust games. me on this
0: 5 <laughs> 5 whole games it's a fantastic career and you know, unforgettable <laughs> experience they might Russ. still be in the KHL right now. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs>
1: um, what, what can you tell me about what your relationship was like with, I know, we, I know we've had this conversation before, what your relationship was like with hitch and you know, I know it was more difficult then. And then you've said, you know, in years past that um, that relationship, you didn't realize it at the time, but it was what you needed to become the be- the player you became when you went to Chicago.
2: Yeah. And I stand by that today. Um, There was no, like, bad blood, excuse me, between Hitch and I. It was just I really wasn't ready to be the player I thought I was at that point in my career. I was doing things that I look back on now that would get you in trouble if you're a young forward trying to make the league. I wasn't scoring enough to be, you know, an offensive threat in the NHL, and I was making mistakes defensively. So it's like, what do you want Hitch to do? At that time, the Flyers were deep. They were trying to win Stanley Cups in the Eastern Conference. They were one of the top teams, and it's like, You can't just make a spot for these young guys, especially when you got Jeff Carter, R.J. Umberger, Mike Richards. Those three forwards right there, you know, competing for ice time. So they sometimes I hear you say I appreciate that. By the way, the worst trade in in Flyers history, but I disagree.
1: Clarky's history.
2: No, I I disagree. I think it was a great trade by Clarky because (laughs) I had to get out of there, and Clarky had told us um, that he didn't want to trade me but I had requested to go play somewhere else. I felt like I needed to to get some ice time and some opportunities, so he granted the request. And for that, I'm thankful to Mr. Clark. He could have let me uh, stay in the situation. He could have offered different contracts, kind of bought more time to work it out. But he was a a great man back then. He is today. He traded me to a team. He said, where do you want to go? We kind of picked our team at that point. uh, I knew the Chicago Blackhawks had a young – Group that was playing in Norfolk the year before, as we just went through the Philadelphia Phantoms days, I saw all those guys having success in the NHL. And I'm like, all right, that's it's my got to get going here with this group. It um, wasn't happening in Philadelphia. So I'm thankful for the trade. I love Philadelphia. I didn't want to leave. I was still sad when I got the call that I was going to Chicago. Um, but things worked out for the best. Can you Absolutely. walk us through that really
0: quickly? Because I don't think we've ever had anybody on the show kind of walk us through putting the requests in and having a GM that was actually you know, receptive to your thoughts. So I can't imagine it was just Chicago, right? Like there were a a few teams that you might have.
2: I think it was pretty much Chicago, to be honest. At that point, it wasn't like, okay, you got to remember the situation and and bring it back to that year. It was like, it wasn't like I was demanding to be traded because I felt I was so good. It was like, hey, let me go try this somewhere else in in an organization that isn't trying to make the playoffs this year or won't make the playoffs. That's going to give these young guys a chance because, Uh, I was just getting pushed out numbers-wise in Philadelphia. So that's how the situation kind of played out. And um, to Mr. Clark's uh, great respect that I have for him, he kind of let the situation go on as long as he could until finally uh, they pulled the trigger on it. And it was so early in the season that you didn't traditionally see trades made that early on. Uh, I think Joe Thornton was actually traded to San Jose a day or two before, so maybe the trade lines were just starting up. But it was more – uh, a request granted thank you for letting me go try it somewhere else and and look it, it wasn't like I went to Chicago and, and things clicked right away that was December of 2005 I didn't start doing much for a couple more years after that and you think the Flyers want to sit around and let me just kind of develop at the NHL level I don't think it would have happened so um, I'm thankful about the trade and uh, you know a lot of GMs kind of don't go down that road at, at times.
1: No, it certainly worked out for you (laughs) when you get to Chicago. um, I I guess like you really your your emerging season, your breakout season was was oh seven oh eight. I think you had sixty two points that year. I think you led the team in both power play and shorthanded goals. You you were an all position player. I think you had the most game winning goals too that year uh, for the team. Um, And then you signed your you know you signed a new contract that year. Um, Did you get the sense then? I mean, I know we're two years prior to the cup. Did you get the sense then that this team is heading in that direction?
2: We were getting some good pieces for sure. Um, Seabrook and Keith were there when I was traded to the Hawks in December. Other than that, it was a new team every year pretty much. And we had drafted these two kids, Kane and Taves, that come into the league you know, looking like little boys. And all of a sudden they're playing heavy roles in the NHL and they're playing great hockey right out of the jump. That changes your team right away. All of a sudden, you can slot guys in the right positions and you have the assemblance of a great team. Corey Crawford was paying his dues in the minors. We didn't see him for a bunch of years later, but you could just see that the talent was there. Um, I think when it all came together was probably when Coach Q took over the team. We went from being a a bunch of young guys trying to make a name for ourselves to, all right, here's how we're going to do things. This is how we're going to approach each game to try to win, make it a little more, Uh, professional atmosphere, a little more accountability towards each other. We were, I mean, there were some times when, when guys were playing way too much ice time, we were just trying to win that night. All of a sudden we had a team that was, was slotted in the right position and we had a chance to win games. So yeah, I want to say like 2008, 2009, all of a sudden the, the buzz in Chicago starts getting a little greater too as well. United center starts becoming a more difficult place to play. You start seeing Hawks jerseys all over the city of Chicago. It was a a fun time to be a part of that team.
1: And, and, you know, again, jumping. I had a little bit here. Since you brought up Quenville, um, did he maintain the same style with you guys even after you won the first time? Like, in other words, did, was that accountability thing? Because a, th- a lot of times, coaches that are that that are tougher like that, they maybe wear out quicker, right? In the NHL, and then you got to f- bring in a new voice. You hear that all the time. But you guys were winning a cup every other year. I'm just wondering if that approach was something that you guys just recognized, hey, you know what, this is working, why complain about it? Or did he try and change things with each different group?
2: He was he was constantly adapting to whatever group that we had uh, each year. Uh, but his approach was the same. He was great at managing the season. Uh, we were one of the teams that kind of led the way in days off and rested days and you know, you can put that back on the players as well. We, we, we would take advantage of our days off. We'd heal ourselves. We'd prepare for the next game. We had all these stats in the locker room, how well we'd play after a day off. Uh, so Joel would recognize that, and we started implementing certain days off. That's just an example of, of how Joel coached behind the bench. Um, he had a, a great passion. There were so many clips of him yelling and screaming and waving his arms at the officials. But we felt that on the bench, and uh, it makes you feel like every game is important. And that's what it felt like for those it was great years in chicago it just felt like every game was like a marquee game the lights were bright in in chicago the music was loud Twenty two thousand people playing joel wants to win every single night you got a great team on the ice it was really a perfect storm and joel was the right guy to be coaching that team
1: i want to ask you about something before we get to the 2010 29 2010 season i gotta ask you about something this might be i don't know if this is embarrassing at all but i'm gonna ask it anyway can you tell us about the what happened with the whole Victoria's Secret thing with Derrick Rose? <laughs> <laughs> I think they were naming you Chicago's sexiest athlete, or they were naming him that, and they announced you by accident? How did they? If what,
2: you, you would have told me that 12 or 13 years later, I'd still have to be talking about this, then I don't know what I would have told you. About. So I think the contest was like, it was, it was already set up between the Bulls and, um, and Victoria's Secret. They were going to run a promotion with uh, D. Rose, was going to be the guy that meets up with one of the, the swimsuit models. And they needed a representative from each kind of team. The baseball guys weren't doing it. So it was Erlocker from the Bears and me from the Hawks for some reason. And they underestimated the power of the Hawks fans because it was an open vote and the Blackhawks fans just started peppering uh, this little computer website. And I don't know if they could handle it or not, but the numbers were really lopsided. And then the next day they announced that there was an error or something. We don't really need to go into it. okay? that's the most important thing uh it, it doesn't matter it was uh, funny I take a lot of heat for it uh, there's a few magazine covers that my mom has in her office that she's proud of but other than that I mean it was a time and place and we can, uh, we can move on now to other things it's embarrassing <laughs> it's really embarrassing <laughs> to it's back. a
1: great story come on Pat you got to be honest that's one of the funny stories that you know we get, get we get people come on and talk about various things and I would never have thought that I would have had to be asking you that question like you what? said I knew I was in trouble
2: when that contest was going on. We were out west playing uh, the San Jose Sharks, and I still remember the game uh, pretty good. We scored three shorthanded goals in the game. Hossa had a couple by himself, and I happened to score one, and I went back and watched the highlight um, when I got to the hotel room that night, and I heard Eddie Olchek's voice, like, somehow connecting the Victoria's Secret sexiest athlete to the goal over the air, and I was like, what is happening here in Chicago? But... It happened. It's over with, and we can we can move on. Thanks, Anthony.
1: for breaking up. <laughs> uh, Oh, you're welcome, Pat. I'm, I'm happy to do it. Um, 2010, obviously that's the that's the big year. Um, you guys finally break through and, and win Chicago's first cup in in forever. Um, and that was a that was a fantastic team that you guys had. At what point, like during that season, did you kind of get the idea, like? This is this is the year. Like we got, I know you go into the conference final the year before, but yeah. like and so I mean that's a good run, but it's tough to come back the next year, even you know, we have a long run to do it again. But at what point did you sit there and go, Yeah, I think this is gonna be it?
2: I would say that off season when we signed Marion Hosa, mm-hmm. um, we had a great player on our team, Marty Havlat, who was there for some tough years in those uh, two thousand six to two thousand nine years, but he was an awesome player and we acquired HOSA, so basically our team was coming back that went to the conference finals, except we added Marion HOSA to it. I think we all looked around and said, man, we, uh, we might be a favorite or one of them in the Western Conference here. And, and something that happened the previous year to winning the Cup, and I'm talking about the year we lose to Detroit in the conference finals, we played Calgary in round one, Vancouver in round two. A lot of media attention in Canada. A lot of our guys on the Hawks were from Canada, especially out west, so we were thriving in that environment. Those were two great playoff series to kind of start your career as a core group together. They were emotional. There was a lot of, like, bad blood, scrums after the whistle, some trash talk going back and forth, and great hockey. So we knew that we could raise our level and be in, like, a dirty series like that because we were considered as a skilled team. Uh, So when 2010 started, it was like I think we were all thinking it's Stanley Cup or bust because it was bust at the end of the year. We lose 10, 11 guys a week after the season to the salary cap. We knew it was our last chance that we were going to really have a crack at it as a group.
1: I'm actually going to take a step back and go backwards here because you mentioned Marty Havlot and it reminded me.
2: I know where you're going already. Right.
1: <laughs> it reminded I forgot that you were part of that, and then it just dawned on me as soon as you said, your name, said, said his name. I was like, oh, man, Pat was part of the great brawl in 2004 with Ottawa yeah yeah because and it all started with havlat breaking recce's wrist i think he slashed him over the wrist and then didn't... i thought it
2: was maybe a kick or something like that or he, i like, forget what it was yeah was it, did. Slash. it was recce and havlat had some bad blood and then yeah there was a build-up towards this game what's cool about that that brawl is that the two organizations actually had a brawl prior to that i think on in on the ahl which is december 26th it was the first game around Okay, now i'm now i might be messing dates up but anyway Binghamton and Philly had a brawl at the Spectrum, and it was much the same. It was drop-the-puck, five-on-five line brawl. So I was in both, actually. I didn't fight in the one in the minors um, somehow. I don't know how I didn't, but uh, when I was in the NHL one, for sure, I was. I remember thinking, like, all right, don't be the last guy on the bench here that's not fighting. Go out there and get in a scrap. And That was about as loud as I've heard in that building, to be honest with you. 2010 Stanley Cup Finals was crazy in Philly. The crowd was insane. Um, but during that brawl against Ottawa on home ice, man, I remember skating off the ice after Spezza and I kind of, I don't know if you want to call it a fight, there wasn't much to it, but and we're not, we didn't even know what we were doing either, the two of us, but skating off the ice, I just remember feeling like I was the toughest guy in the world, and, and that was the best feeling ever, man. That was, a, that was a fun year.
1: That was still my favorite regular season game to cover in 20 years of covering this sport. I loved that game more because afterwards it was great too. You had Clarkie coming down trying to <laughs> yell to get Jacques Martin to come out of the out of the locker room to fight him in the hallway. You had media fighting in the locker room. It was insane. like everybody was so caught up with it. You had Brass trying to come back after he was already kicked out of the game. He comes back down the tunnel and he's yelling on there. It was just it was slap shot come to life, man. It was awesome.
2: Yeah, my fight was towards the end of all this stuff going on. And I remember going into the locker room and all the guys that had been previously kicked out of the game were huddled around a little monitor watching the next fights. And it was just high fives coming back to everybody. Um, cell phones were then were going on back then, but they weren't like as active as they are today. And I remember answering the phone a lot. Phone calls were being made post-game. A lot of my buddies that I played college with were in the minors on different teams. It was like a big buzz across the hockey world that these these two teams set some kind of penalty minute record and it's cool that I could be a part of that one.
1: All right, let's get back to 2010 (laughs) because this is this is the championship that Russ insists did not happen. I don't Uh, know what you're
0: talking about. There was no Stanley Cup (laughs) awarded that year.
1: (laughs) So so you get to you get to the final and you know you're gonna play the Flyers and, and you're um you know what's your initial thought? I mean here you are here's a guy who came up with this organization. You beat a team from Chicago, not the Blackhawks affiliate but you beat a team from Chicago to win your ahl championship and now here you are in your first stanley cup final playing against philadelphia for chicago i mean that that had to be a lot of emotion for you and even for a guy like ben eager too who was in in the same situation with you
2: yeah and he's had a huge moment in the stanley cup final as well game yeah. two in chicago we win chicago beats philly two to one and eager scores the game-winning goal yeah. a great like snapshot huge celebration you know that's kind of what i remember about those hawks teams is yeah, we know Kane Taves, all the big names, Keith Seabrook, Hosa. But it was the depth players. Everybody had a big moment along the way. and Eags definitely had his. Uh, I remember watching, worried about getting by San Jose because they were always a great team around that time. Uh, Joe Thornton was a stud, and Danny Heatley was scoring goals back then. Uh, we'd get by them early, and Philly was playing Montreal, right, in the Eastern mm-hmm. Conference Finals. That's right. And I just remember thinking, either way, this is going to be awesome because Philly, I've got some – some roots there. I feel comfortable playing against those guys. I look across the bench, I see the, the training staff and some coaches that I played for, I see some fans in the crowd that are familiar faces. Um, so yeah, and then Montreal would have been awesome as well. You know, it's a great place to play. It would have been an awesome Stanley Cup final, but I was happy. It was Philly. Um, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say I was happy. I was excited that it was Philly. I always loved going back there. I didn't really have great success playing against the Flyers throughout my career. Um, but that Stanley Cup final was a little bit different. I was ready to rock, and and that was a great final. They keep showing it now, um, on all the old channels in Chicago. They show those great playoff matches. And when I watched the Philly Chicago series, it really could have went either way. It was pretty good hockey. I know
0: you're great. supposed to. Hockey. Hockey. You're you're supposed to show respect to the other team. But when you enter that finals and you realize you're going to go up against a team that's got Michael Layton in net, like you have to be licking your chops, right? Because you know all due respect the guy played 110 games in the in the NHL but he's not he's not a starting caliber goalie he never was so when you go into that series you know that you're not going up against the best of the best in that at that position you have to kind of be licking your chops a bit right
2: i wasn't thinking that way at all because Layton was in norfolk when i was in philly with the phantoms right so we had swapped teams and he was really good. Him and Craig Anderson were the goaltenders in Norfolk, and I couldn't even tell them apart back then. I just knew when I played against Norfolk and Leighton or Anderson, I wasn't doing much offensively, so I wanted to get over that in my own mind. Uh, Philly was on a huge run, and Bush was there as a goaltender. He saw some games in the finals or ice time, I'm sorry. Pronger was on the back end. They were scoring all kinds of goals up front. Danny Briere, you know, was the MVP from the Flyers, was he not? If the Flyers win that Stanley Cup final, you got to give the Con Smite to. To Danny Briere, uh, Hartmo was a beast in front of the net. There was a lot of problems on that team. I wasn't worried about. I wasn't thinking about Michael Layton. I was just thinking about, hey, we got to do our job and win these games.
1: You talked about Pronger. We asked him last week uh, if he still had the pucks from the finals. How much? Did, how much did that piss you guys off? Because I know you guys had the the board and you were putting all the pucks up. You know, sixteen wins, um, and then to have him. Go and try and screw around with your little tradition and and take the pucks and hide them from you
2: guys? Yeah, we weren't really even doing that tradition, to be honest with you. Back oh, really? Then, we, we had uh, started a new one um, years before. It was Brent Seabrook, who, who was the mastermind behind it. He missed a game in, in Phoenix when they were the Phoenix Coyotes. Uh, and he saw some guy walking down the street. There was um, like a WWE convention or event going on in Glendale that night. And he saw some dude walking around with a real... Wrestling belt, and he bought it right off his shoulder and awarded it the next day to player of the game in our locker room. So we had this new championship belt. A couple teams have gone on to do the same thing since, but we were pumped about that tradition. But yeah, yeah I mean, it it wasn't like a thing that we wanted that puck, but just the fact that, you know, sportsmanship shows wherever that puck is in the winning team, the goaltender will take it sometimes. And Pronger was doing what Pronger liked to do back then be a big bully out there. And I think (laughs) Eggs was our guy that maybe stole it from him one game. I don't know how it worked out. Uh, it didn't play much of a role in the series, at least in our minds. We were, uh, we were just focused on playing.
1: Oh, It was, it was great for us, though. The yeah, media, the media I... sucked that up right away, man. That was, that was good stuff. Um, so w- when, you, when, when Kane scores the goal to win the cup, if you watch the, we watched the video a million times, unfortunately. Me too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the only person who saw that puck go in besides Patrick Kane is you. Yeah. If you when you watch the video, you are immediately skating to try and catch up with him because you were the only two celebrating. And I think like everybody else was kind of coming off the bench like, Okay, we're gonna celebrate, but did he yeah. actually score? Like nobody saw. Can you talk did you have like the, the clear view of it going in?
2: I had a great spot. I was high slot. There was nobody in my way. Leighton was hugging the right post, I guess it would be for yeah. him, and I saw the whole side of the net open. And when Kaner let that shot go, I just saw like a little flicker in that bottom white pad. And then Kaner was dancing behind the net. I knew right away I wanted to get to him. Back then, we used to, we were dumb. We were excited kids. Every time there was a goal, we just loved celebrating, you know. we do these big jumps and screams. And, and Kaner was well known for the fist pumps and all that stuff. You see it in today's game all the time. Everyone's doing Kaner celebrations. So I wanted to get to him for this celebration. Uh, and Andrew Ladd made a great pick. Unintentionally, he stood right in the way, and I couldn't get around Andrew Ladd to get to Caner. So he skates the length of the ice, throwing his stuff in the air. Uh, something cool about that goal that I always remember is, years later, being on the bus or the, the road with Caner, he says that sometimes he would think to himself he'd wake up in in the middle of the night thinking that it was all a dream and that that Leighton made the save and he did that celebration and didn't score the goal. So we have a good chuckle. Could you imagine if we would have no, to no. pick up our gloves and sticks and continue playing? That would have been. Uh, all time worst case scenario. Also, previous to that goal on the uh, Hartnell tying goal. So we're like a couple minutes away from winning the cup, the puck bounces around, ends up going in the back of the net. Jonathan Taves blows out his MCL on that play that not a lot of people know. Uh, he was hobbling around another shift in the reg- in, uh, regulation and then he barely played in overtime. And when he was out there, he was just kind of cruising around. We don't know, he says he would have played, but I don't know if he would have played for game seven. At home, so who knows? That could have been a very different series if Tanner doesn't put
0: that one in. Yeah, that's that's something else. Mm-hmm. Is there any disappointment when you go back and and watch it? Like you you would think that the culminating moment should be this big euphoric moment, and even when you go back and listen to the NBC, right? Doc Emmerich, right? You should be hearing, "Oh, he scores!" and like <laughs> that should be the moment. And it's like, "Oh, well, we don't know. We're still waiting for a signal." And Pierre's like, "Oh, I don't know. Isn't it?" like does it does does it disappoint you at all that like there's not that beautiful call that that one momentous thing it's it's just 30 I think seconds it is. of them being questionable you know
2: I think it is a beautiful call I think it's a unique way to win the Stanley Cup I knew it a bunch of the teammates knew it um it, it does certainly look weird the celebration but I played on that team and um again lucky to be a part of that group there were so many like memorable moments and great calls this is a team that the core group of guys won three cups together played a lot of outdoor games and we hosted two of them one at wrigley field one at soldier field those were special moments all the olympics tournaments that these guys played in um, gold medals and silver medals that it won it was like there were so many great moments with that chicago group i'm with you it was a little bit weird celebration you dream of it differently but at that point man i I wasn't uh, too worried about what the broadcast was doing i just knew that we had won it was such a long grind and uh thankful that we could pull it out
1: now i know you 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 know you get three cups with the blackhawks but there was one other thing that i think people kind of forget you also won a gold medal um playing for canada in 2014 can you can you talk a little bit about that experience and and uh just the opportunity to play with the best players in the game and then to win the gold medal while you're at it
2: yeah it was um It's crazy to think about, to be honest with you. We talk a lot about the Chicago stuff. I live in Chicago uh, to this day, and and so we're constantly bringing up great memories. But, yeah, life was moving fast at the time of the Olympics, to be honest with you. It was 2014. Uh, We had just won the second cup. We'd win another. We'd lose in the conference finals in 2014, but win a third one in 2015. I had just been married. We had two daughters. Our second daughter was just born. Um, It seemed like the Blackhawks were in the news every week for something cool. Nationally whether I told you we had guys doing late night appearances on Jay Leno. We were going to outdoor games It was just like there was so much going on that to think that I was lucky enough to play for team Canada Never really was a member of hockey Canada at any level growing up before I got to pro hockey did a couple world championships and then boom Selected to play for team Canada in the Olympic Games was was awesome and uh, the team that we were on was special I got some cool pictures from that event a lot of memories I looked at how guys prepared and, and thought the game. And It was just cool to see some different approaches. I mean, I looked at Sidney Crosby was across the hallway from us in the dorms, and the way that he is just locked in at all times with his professionalism and how serious he takes the game was impressive. And on the flip side, a guy like Drew Doughty caught my attention because like that guy had more fun at the Olympics <laughs> than anybody, period. He was just had a smile on his face uh-huh. all the time. Didn't really care what he was eating at that point. You know, it was just we're, like, and he was we're, our, we're drinking,
1: was like,
2: Pat. Well, maybe, maybe, you know, there was a McDonald's in the cafeteria. and He was just crushing McDonald's night before big gold medal games. And then he'd steps on the ice and he's like the best defenseman out there. So it was cool to see all these great players brought together and to think that I was there for it. Uh, it's pretty cool.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, going back after you go to Dallas for a couple seasons and then you go back and to wrap up your career in, in Chicago. And um, I knew that, uh, you know, they made you the uh, alternate captain for your final game. And, and I think that you you said that you had known that this was coming for a while. Like, at what point did you kind of did you think when you signed that one year deal with them that, you know, going into the season, this was going to be it? Or did it happen sometime during the year there?
2: Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, Probably, I just knew at that time I'd had enough of hockey. Um, I played a long time, played a lot of playoff games. I mean, we're going through the years here, which is bringing back memories. But, you know, those three or four years I played in Philly prior to my career, really even taking off in the National Hockey League, I was a lot of professional hockey games under the belt. So I was running out of gas, to be honest with you. Um, Mid to late 30s and some injuries that slowed me down. And I was just getting tired of, seemed like I was – working harder and accomplishing less. And I think it's something that all athletes have to deal with at some point Uh, to end in Chicago. was very special. You know, I, I I like to think that like, what an opportunity to be at the United center. Our team wasn't very good at that point. We missed the playoffs, but the building is full and I get to skate around the ice in my final game, waving to fans in Chicago. That's like a, that's a storybook ending. That doesn't get to happen to a lot of guys. So trust me, I know that uh, I'm pretty lucky to be in that situation. Um, I, I do miss the game. I wish I could still play now. I love the way the game is being played. I love being a part of it from the broadcaster standpoint. But, yeah, I would say, like, those last couple of years, I, I pretty much I, – I knew I was in trouble when I, I, there was a big road trip coming up. And instead of saying, all right, this is going to be awesome. We're going to get to get to know some of these new guys, maybe have a few nice dinners, play a few games, I was thinking – you no, know, man, I just kind of want to stay home with my daughters at this point. Do I really need to go to St. Louis and play these guys for the 60th time again? That was my mindset. And when you have one foot out the door like that, uh, you, you can't compete at that level anymore. So I maybe wish I would have been a better player that final year and gone out scoring 30 goals like I did at the height of my career, but it didn't happen.
1: You told me, you told us here today that when you were first coming into, you know, when you were in your early 20s and first breaking into professional hockey, that you didn't know what you were doing. You you were very, you know, naive about a lot of things. But one of the things that I always felt that you had in your back pocket was the ability to be a good conversationalist and the ability to to really present yourself well and to talk about the game well. So I looked at it and I said to them, you know, we talk in the media all the time and say, and you might have, you might find this now, Oh, uh, oh! This this guy, when his career's over, he's going to be on TV, or he's going to be a member of the media, or something along those lines. Um, did you ever think, you know, during your career, that this was the path that you were going to take once your playing career ended—that you were going to get into being a TV analyst? Because you're doing a hell of a job doing it. And I think that we felt in Philly, when even when you were young, that it was something that would probably, you know, that you would be excel at when you got older.
2: Oh, I appreciate that. No, in Philly for sure, no. I was just trying to figure out what pro hockey was all about. I remember my first training camp, uh, it was the preseason. So I, I wasn't even playing in the preseason. Um, but I'd been getting worked pretty good. And my name wasn't on the lineup for the preseason game. So practice ended in the morning. And I just went to the locker room and was taking my gear off. And so stupid as a rookie. And Craig Hartsburg, the assistant coach, was waiting to like skate me and do extra work. I didn't know that that was like, the protocol of pro hockey. So here I am this 20-year-old kid sitting in the NHL locker room taking his gear off, not doing skating while everyone else is out there working. So that's how dumb I was as a 20-year-old. But as far as the broadcasting goes, I think Chicago was huge for those kind of opportunities off the ice. I mentioned how the Hawks, for that you know period of time, even to this day, are always covered nationally. There's a lot of cool opportunities in the city of Chicago, and we got to do those as players on the team. So I never thought broadcasting or being an analyst was something that i do. Uh, after hockey was done I did did love listening to Troy Murray and Eddie Olchek call the games Uh, you know as an analyst live from the Blackhawks I must have listened to Eddie Olchek call over a thousand games at least Uh, I know him very well so uh, I thought maybe who knows down the road but I didn't think that I'd retire on a Sunday and then the following Monday be on NBC that's the way it kind of worked out Um, I'm thankful I'm happy to be part of that team it fills the gap uh I still have to think about hockey, which is a good thing. Sometimes during the shutdown, there's no hockey to think about, and I realize I need that in my life. It's my passion; I still love it to this day. So, it's a perfect situation.
1: That's awesome. I, I did want to ask you this because I think that there's been, and you know, I, I don't, I don't want, I don't want, to, I don't want to ask it in in a way that it's going to make you get in trouble. So, I'm going to ask it the right way. We've we've heard, we've talked to, you know, not Russ and I, but we've talked to JR, to JR since the the whole thing happened with NBC. Um, is it fair to say that you two are still close, you're still friendly, that there's nothing, you know, no ill will about the stuff that he said? Because, you know, I, I think that a lot of people in Philly were very upset that JR was taken off, off TV. And, I you know, I think that the discussion that we've had a lot of times is, You you guys are friends still. Like there's, there was not. This was just Jr. being Jr. and it's and it was fun. So I just wanted to kind of have you say from your side so that we can so that all the people that listen to us know that this is not something that they're you know that's ill will for you.
2: Yeah, Jr. has been a friend of mine since the days I played in Philadelphia. He still is today. I did work with him last year at his hockey school in Chicago. I know he does a lot of things in the Phoenix Scottsdale area with that school. He's got one in Chicago. He might even be looking to do it in Philadelphia down the road, but. Now, Jr. is a fun guy. He loves the fans. He loves giving back. There's no bad blood between us. Uh, I hope he's doing well. We check in. We keep talking to each other through text message. We get on the occasional phone call, but he was a fun guy to play with back in the day. Uh, it's funny. I, I remember walking into the Flyers locker room and, and seeing like all the prime spots in the locker room were to guys like John LeClair and Mark Recchi, And then right in the corner with like three spots was Jr. And my name was tucked in there, too. He had like one for his stuff, two for his fan mail, and then I was kind of wedged in there somewhere in between. Uh, that was Jr. hockey for you. So uh, he loves the game. He loves the fans, and JR's the is a man.
0: I do want to awesome. ask you one more question about TV. So NBC's deal with the NHL runs for another season, two seasons. I think there's an opt-in somewhere in there. Uh, as a talent on air, has that conversation been had? Because I have to imagine that as somebody who – is growing and and is a thriving role and seems to be part of the long-term plan at NBC, you would want to see them keep the the rights. And the rumor is that ESPN was prepping potentially a big bid. As an on-air talent, is there a moment where you, your agent, you start kind of having those conversations about, all right, well, what do we do in the event that the rights go somewhere else? Or do you have to... You have to stay in, you know, in the moment and just kind of let things play out as they as they will.
2: Yeah, I don't think you know me very well. I don't think about too much other than the <laughs> hockey stuff. I don't. I don't have an agent. I'm not involved in all that stuff. I'm just happy that I can go down the road here in New England to the Stanford Studios and and call hockey for a living in my second career. So I don't. I don't get too caught up in in what's going on other than the stuff on the ice.
1: It, who do you like? I, I, don't, I don't want to. I don't want you to tell me who you don't like. But who do you like working with in the, in the studio? Who? Who? Jonesy's, will, J- Jonesy's Jonesy.
2: Got <laughs> And I know Jonesy's the Philly guy. Uh, I'm learning more and more about Jonesy every time I work with him He's been awesome for me. Once hockey ended, And I don't think people realize like when you're done playing the game, like that takes up so much time. In your brain, at least in my brain, it was hockey on my mind all the time. And now that's gone, I don't have to worry about preparing to play a game the next day. Uh, You need to fill your time somehow. And transition post-hockey as a player can be difficult. And Keith Jones has been a guy that I've probably asked him a thousand questions about broadcasting, about how to do our show at NBC. He's been great every single time. And he's so easy to work with. As soon as those lights come on, that's kind of the coolest thing that I've found in the NBC a job, the broadcasting job is like that countdown. All right, we're on the air, five, four, the lights are on. You get a little bit of butterflies like you're going to play a hockey game. And then as soon as Jonesy starts talking, he is just like such a professional. He's calm. He's relaxed every time. Easy guy to work with. And for those that know Jonesy well, he's a fun guy to watch a hockey game with. He's got a lot of comments, great insight about the game. and He, he cracks me up all night long. So, so I'd say Keith Jones is a fun guy to work with for sure. But everybody at NBC has been great.
1: I do What last question about this that I want to ask is there and, and I've never asked anyone this and and but I've noticed through the years so many guys who' you know part of their career um, or more, or a majority of their career has come through Philadelphia has ended up in broadcasting in hockey in some capacity. Is there something that happens when you're here that you know that you it's discussed, it's talked about, or an opportunity, to say, hey, down the road, if you ever want to talk to this guy, talk to this guy. Somebody who's kind of gets you all together and says you would be great, or is it because you guys just have to deal with the media all the time? You learn you learn how to you learn how to be really good at this?
2: Yeah, that might be it, to be honest with you. Philly's the prime market. There's a lot of attention on the team there. Uh, but yeah, it is there is a connection for sure. Brian Boucher is another guy. And I've enjoyed spending time with at the Stanley Cup Finals. I played with Boosh in Chicago for a brief moment. He was there with us. I've known him for a long time. So he can put a smile on your face as well. And I think he's done a great job uh, at being the inside the glass guy. He's, he's, he's fun to listen to, uh, to watch a hockey game. Um, Philly, yeah. Philly and Chicago, two great places to play where the cameras are on you a lot. Uh, maybe that prepares me for my second career. Who knows?
1: Well, Pat, we appreciate you taking an hour with us today uh thank you so much uh hopefully uh one of these days the we'll be allowed to go back to a hockey arena and and be able to enjoy the game again uh up close and uh, maybe one of these times you'll take a trip down and uh come into philly and, and do a, a pregame show or something and we'll uh, we'll get a chance to catch up then as well
2: yeah that sounds good nice to see a familiar face it's been a long time since those Phantoms and flyers days and who knows philly's got a great team right now man but the word right before The league shut down there. The the Flyers are playing as well as anybody. I know they're probably excited to get the playoffs back and running. So, yeah, but who knows?
0: We'll see you down the line, man. Thank you for having me on the show.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much, and uh, take care. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Pat.
0: And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Patrick Sharp. Anthony, go ahead. Uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, well, okay, so uh, there's no question that me asking him about the Victoria's Secret thing was slightly uncomfortable.
0: Um, The video will be going up, by the way, not him with Victoria's Secret, the video (laughs) of the interview, and you can watch as he uh, flashed a a smile, but also a look at Anthony like, I'm going to come through this computer and smack you.
1: But I knew I could get away with that one because it was more fun. I felt that the having, I mean, I had to ask the question about Jr. Right, because of Jr. being fired by NBC for making the comment about how pretty Patrick Sharp is, (laughs) and and some other, you know, he took it a little bit further than that. So I wanted Pat to say just you know how close they are, and and I know that they're still close friends and still talk. So just to show that that was a NBC reacting, probably overreacting thing, and not something where either Catherine Tappan, who is one of Jr.'s best friends, and Patrick Sharp were. Had any animosity toward him, right? No. So, um, so that was my uncomfortable question. But I kind of feel like your uncomfortable question was, so what do you think about, you know, if if, if you know it goes to ESPN, you know, well, are you are have you to ask the question about no, that?
0: It was a perfectly fair question. I didn't say
1: it wasn't fair. It was uncomfortable, though.
0: I don't know if it was uncomfortable. He just said he hasn't thought about it. He should. He absolutely should, because he's in a very similar position, not quite as insider-ish, but he's in a similar position to where Taylor Twelman was when uh, the World Cup rights were with ESPN. And then the idea was that they, they're going to go to Fox and a lot of other top soccer talent, um, soccer analysts, were jumping ship like alexi lawless went to fox sports and the idea was well is taylor twelman who served as the color analyst on all of the big games and the u.s games with ian dark is he going to go to fox sports and he decided to stay put with espn i guess with the thought that like hey in eight years you know we'll probably get the rights back and also espn's the the biggest sports outlet so that's the kind of comparison i was looking for and Twelman had opened up about that in the past. So I kind of figured that maybe Patrick Sharp had done something similar. He didn't, and that's okay. But I thought it was a fair question to ask. And, you know, he, if he hasn't thought about it, he hasn't thought about it. No, it's, it's not like it, that it wasn't a
1: fair question. I thought it was a perfectly fair question. Um, the thing for me is that, and the more I think about it, because I did ask him about, you know, all these people who are connected to the Flyers who end up in TV, mm-hmm. but he made a good point at Philly and Chicago. And then it really dawned on me that there are, um, NBC, uh, sports affiliates in those cities, which yep. used to be Comcast, right? CSN yep. Philly and CSN New York or, uh, Chicago. Um, so that's probably how it, it happened for him. And then of course, Bush here and, you yep. know, even guys who are on the local broadcast like Bundy, um, you know, and then we had JR on a national level. Keith, and Jones, right, and Keith Jones locally and nationally. Um, so uh, I, I think that that's probably the connection, that said, if it does go to ESPN, right, let's just put that out there. Let's say ESPN outbids NBC and they get hockey at the end of this <coughs> contract. Yep. I would think that ESPN would bring almost all these guys over to ESPN because yeah. they're the names and faces that people equate with the sport. Um, the last time ESPN had a national profile for hockey – I mean, all those guys are, are gone, with the exception of Melrose, who they've kept on, and, and Linda Cohn, who got
0: really mad at uh, Max yeah. Kellerman. That was awesome.
1: I know, right? Um, so you have Bucci, um, and then you have
0: and, and you have uh, oh, what's Melrose. his name? I can say Steve Le- Steve Levy. Steve Levy. Well, Steve Levy. I mean, Steve Levy is a, a
1: good. Uh, I think a really good play by play guy for yeah. hockey. Mm -hmm. Um, and Steve Levy's the funny thing with Steve Levy is is his uh track record when he was a play-by-play guy in the playoffs is he got all the long overtime games (laughs) all the games went three four five overtimes you know Steve Levy was the guy broadcasting them um but yeah but he's just a he's more of a broadcaster not really an analyst I would think ESPN if they got that national contract they would bring all these guys over maybe not um let me just let me just try and think. And now I think they would. I would think they would take them all.
0: I, I think they would take them all. I will be interested to see because I think soccer has kind of set the precedent for the kinds of deals that we might start to see. Um, and it's well, I don't know. Turner just re-upped with MLB for some games, and and then obviously, what is it, the League Championship Series or division divisional series? They kept that. Um, but in terms of soccer, there's been this idea that like. ESPN is going to try to get rights to certain games to stream on ESPN Plus and then maybe as a supplement there's going to be another partner like an NBC that would maintain the rights so like say the EPL for example NBC's done a great job with that coverage they might keep the exclusive rights or most of the exclusive rights to the on-air broadcast but espn might get some games via espn plus and that's something that had come up with the Bundesliga. it is fox maintain those rights and espn get the streaming rights? so i do wonder in two years depending on how covid breaks down depending on the the way that you know cord cutting continues do we start to see a couple of these major networks and, and these mass conglomerates in like nbc universal and disney do they do they team up together and and make the determination that it's better for the product overall, better for exposure on both the traditional front and on the cord cutting front to partner up on, on these instead of getting just the exclusive rights, it would seem kind of counterintuitive for the NHL to want to sell their exclusive rights to ESPN, knowing how much money that network has invested into the NBA, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we, we shall see.
1: I think we're still, are still a year away at, at, uh, yeah. at least from that. So uh, we'll see how it uh, how it all plays out. I think, I think it, would be, I, it would be great, and then no knock on NBC. I mean, I think NBC does a fine job um, covering hockey, but I think it would be great to get hockey back on ESPN. Uh, I think it would just help the sport. Um, it, some of my favorite broadcasts of hockey were on ESPN just because yeah. of the way they covered it. Um, so well, it, would, it would be great to get it back there.
0: You know, a lot of times people say, well, the reason that the NBA, you know, has – so much of a larger reach is because ESPN is the one that has the rights and and they don't have rights to hockey. So why would they promote a product that they don't have a vested interest in as much? And, and there's a lot of truth to that. If they do some kind of split rights deal, or maybe they do something where it's like a, I can't imagine NBC wanting to give away that Sunday game, that Sunday noon or one o'clock game, but maybe they work in something that's akin to like what the NFL has with Thursday night football. Maybe there's a, a new night, that ESPN would
1: Wednesday night hockey, rivalry night?
0: I would think that NBC would still want to keep that so that you still have eyes going to NBC Sports Network. So maybe there's like a Friday night hockey, something like that. Who knows? Um, a few things that we need to get to. Not only is Snow the Goalie available on Twitter at Snow the Goalie, not only is it available on Facebook, Facebook.com Snow the Goalie, but we now are available over on instagram you can interact with us over there at snow the goalie we're going to be putting up some exclusive clips uh, over the next few weeks from interviews that we've done over time I, i have a few that are kind of bouncing around my head that i know we have not put out on either of the other pages including some fun moments with bobby clark i believe the beer montage never actually made it to twitter that'll go over on instagram there are some clips From your interview with Scott Lawton right before the NHL pause that never saw the light of day on social media, they'll go there. I think we have some really good sound bites uh, from the last few weeks here that we never actually clipped up and put on social media. So we'll have some exclusive clips that are going to go over on our Instagram page. So make sure you follow us over there at Snow the Goalie. Video guy Craig right now has been trying to talk me into starting a TikTok for Snow the Goalie. I don't know why, but uh, I I just want to pay to see Anthony dance. Really, is what this comes down that,
1: to. That ain't happening. Okay, we could we could TikTok uh, snow the goalie. Uh, I have an expert TikToker in the house, so mm. I could probably I could probably use her uh, as a rec- you know I could recruit her to mm-hmm. to kind of help us with that. But you will not see Anthony dancing on TikTok. That will not happen.
0: You sure? Sure. You know, we
1: can come up with some. We can come up with some fun hockey-themed, hockey-related TikToks. I think we are. We're, you're, one of them will not be me dancing. That's for sure.
0: Whatever you say. Um, I want to touch on something that was really <laughs> important. You know, last week I kind of railed against the fact that there are some aggregators that create bad headlines and. You know, people don't really read articles as much anymore, and they see the headline and they run with it. And I mentioned Oscar Lindblom and the fact that there was a site that had a bad headline and then it was you know promoted by an aggregating site with hundreds of thousands of followers, and it became a big thing. On a positive note, so June tenth, um, Oscar Lindblom's girlfriend took to Instagram to you know, put up a a, a little bit of an update, I guess um, about Oscar Lindblom's condition. Um, now, please, if I don't pronounce this name correctly, don't come after me. But I believe her name would be pronounced Amalindqvist. And so she's over on Instagram. And it's a picture of her her hand holding a hand of Oscar with the uh, IV in his hand. And it said, uh, today, it's six months since we found out about the cancer and about three months since he had the surgery. Can't believe that soon we can put this behind us. And then a nice little heart. Now. The notable part about that is it is the first time that I believe it had been made public that Oscar Lindblom had a surgery. Now, you and I had both heard things behind the scenes, not reportable things. There are many reasons why they're not reportable things, um, but that Oscar had a surgery of some kind. Was there anything that uh, that you had that you wanted to say about this update or about why we might not report on certain things that we've heard?
1: Well, I mean, all I'll say as far as this is that, one, it, it, look, the, the news is out there that he has Ewing sarcoma. Do we really need to violate his privacy and his family's privacy to go – to the gory details of what that and what that entails, like, you know, what he has to experience and, you know, yeah, there was a surgery, but that was part of it. Like that was part of the treatment for Ewing sarcoma. Like, do we have to sit there and, and break it down and say, well, how will this surgery affect him as a hockey player? It, 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 sometimes you got it goes too far. Right. So that's yep. why we stop at a certain point. We've, we've reported not just you and I, I say we, I mean the royal we, as far as the Philadelphia hockey media, we've reported all that really needs to be reported about his condition. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need to go further. If there was something that would prevent him from ever playing again, and and it might get to that. I mean, who knows? I mean, we don't know what the, you know, what recovery is going to be like for, for Oscar. Um, Then maybe you say something further at that point, Mm -hmm. but until we have any, clue about what his recovery process is going to be and how long it's going to take there's really no reason to share any other specific details especially without his permission right so so that's why we don't say anything further
0: yeah i i did have a couple of people on twitter asking you know if you knew why didn't you say anything It's like, well there's not a lot of upside there i mean this isn't like a torn acl right? right this isn't like a guy goes down with a knee injury, and then you report right away, hey, he actually didn't tear his ACL, but he tore his MCL. Like, that's that's a different kind of thing. That's a bad injury, but it's not life-threatening, right? right? Exactly. Versus a, a form of cancer that doesn't have a very high success rate of treating and, and survival and long-term survival. So I think it's a little bit different, or so, a lot a bit different.
1: So one thing I do want to mention about Oscar is uh, he was voted – Um, by the Philadelphia chapter of the Professional Hockey Writers Association as their nominee for the Masterton Award, Mm -hmm. Um, which is great and good for him. Um, So I'm going to sound insensitive here for a second, but I'm going to explain my insensitivity. Oscar Limblom being nominated for an award that is supposed to represent – Dedication, perseverance, and commitment to the sport of hockey doesn't quite make sense to me. Now we didn't; we're not members of the PHWA because we're we work for a blog, um, so therefore we don't get to vote in this in this voting. Um, but I will tell you that I have voted in this in the past. As a matter of fact, I wrote the bio that. Uh, for Ian Lapierre, the year he won uh, the Masterton, when he didn't even play a game, mm-hmm. and still won the Masterton Award. Um, so, uh, so I'm very, you know, I, I'm cl- I'm close to it. I understand it. I, I know how it works. And I I just I, I just have a hard time sitting there saying that just because Oscar Limblom was diagnosed with cancer. And is being treated for it. That that is justification for saying that he's got this, you know, dedication, perseverance, and commitment to the sport of hockey. Um,
0: that's not to say he's a bad choice. No, right? I think to to kind of soften the blow of this, I think it's just if you look across the league at other candidates, right? You think about like if a guy had a substance abuse problem. And he had to go to rehab and he missed an, an extended period of time, went to rehab, came back and, and has like, you know, started a foundation or something to, to try to help people who are in a similar position. Like that's kind of the wraparound here, right? Where there's a problem, there was a recovery, and then there was like an effort to, to kind of push that forward versus what Oscar's going through right now. It's almost like you don't want the master to just become something where it's like a, a sympathy award. Right. Where it's like, Oh, the is. you yeah. know, everybody has these problems. Everybody's got something sad that's happened. And now it's like, well, who had the saddest thing or who had the worst possible like thing happen to them? And you don't want, I- you don't want the award to be that. And so I think what you're saying makes sense. I think that if let's, let's, be positive, assume that Oscar makes a full recovery, you know, works through whatever the off season ends up being. And somehow next year is able to to get back on the ice or in two seasons is able to get back on the ice and play meaningful minutes and gets back out there and continues to shine the light on, you know, this rare form of cancer and, you know, working with a counselor, a cancer foundation or something like that. And, and he's back in the sport and like, that's the perseverance part of it. Then he's an excellent candidate because you've had issue recovery. And, and I think that next level is also kind of pushing forward with some kind of foundation or something that, that works to continue to advocate for people who don't have that voice. That to me is that next level like I think it's too right. early it's
1: too soon it's just too,
0: too early to not to
1: mention and these guys the, the you know the PHWA probably didn't think this this hard right they probably looked at this and said uh this is the easy we have it easy this year we have an easy candidate we go to Oscar Lindblom but I think that if they really thought about it there was a great candidate in Philadelphia that they could have chosen this this year that probably would have had a chance at winning. Not to say would have won, but would have had a chance at winning this award. And that's Chris Stewart.
0: Stewart. I'm I'm really sorry to the five people who were driving during this this time of yellow zone and just drove off the road. I hope you're okay. Take a moment. But think about it. Collect yourselves. Pause the podcast. Come back in a moment. He did just say Chris Stewart. But think about
1: it. Chris Stewart hadn't played in the NHL for – two seasons and even then two seasons ago we only played in seven games or whatever it was yeah so it's really three seasons that he hasn't played um, he was on the Ellison plan right <laughs> came, came back into uh, was it was an um, tryout contract in in camp for the Flyers yep. didn't make the team out of camp but stayed with the team without a contract practicing you know with the players you know, showing young guys what the dedication to the sport is to have a chance, I'm going to stick, still practice with this team knowing I can't play any games, still practice and hang around with this team, okay, eventually getting a contract, okay, to play. I think he played, I don't know, 18 games for the Fly or something like that this year. Um, Gets sent down to the minors, and even though he's officially in the minors, is still – active enough to be one of the signers um, of the, diver- the diversity group that was created in the NHL and signed his name as one of the leaders of that to try and effectuate change for more diversity in the sport. Mm-hmm. Now, in a span of nine months of a, of a player's long career, and Chris Stewart's been around for a while, that's pretty damn impressive. That shows dedication to the sport that shows perseverance that you haven't played in the nhl for three years and yet you found your way back Mm -hmm. okay you're trying to make a difference in the game that is bettering the game that is a candidate that would have to me been the number one choice for me i would have i would have pushed hard for chris stewart and if i think if i made a good enough argument probably could have gotten people on board with it and then I think if you look at it from a uh, you know all all thirty one players that are nominated you know and then everybody gets a vote, I would guarantee you that Chris Stewart would be up there. He might be, might not win it, but I think he would be one of the
0: finalists for sure because of because of that path that he took this season. Since you mentioned it, uh, he was one of the players who signed on to the Hockey Diversity Alliance. Um, I don't know about you, I I found. I think it's a great thing that they started. Um, you know, now, no, more than ever. It really is the the perfect time to start up something like this. Um, I was disappointed by the lack of big name players of color who were not on this list. Uh, biggest name that stands out that's not on there, PK Subban. Not sure what happened there. his um, brother. or his brother. No. Or his brother. There, there are 42, I believe players in the NHL who are, you know, of color who you would think that that as many of them as possible would be on this list and weren't Um, Evander Kane has some, some skeletons in his closet uh, with domestic, I think it was domestic abuse with, with um, what was the, the thing that was going around on Twitter this past week about uh, you know, allegedly possibly trying to force a a previous partner to have an abortion. Like not to say that Evander Kane's a terrible guy, but these are bad things against him. And he's the face of, or he's the most notable name on this list. Well, Wayne Simmons, probably the most notable, but I mean, he's towards the end of his career. He's towards the end of his career. So it's not as big of an impact, but uh, I I don't know. I I think that uh, while it's a great step to not have the, the biggest names of, of that group of of people in the league, is almost like uh, it's it's a little bit disappointing. I don't know how to put it. That's fair.
1: That's fair. But do you like my idea of Chris Stewart instead of Oscar Limblow?
0: It's fine. Yeah. Would you been. have Would
1: you have rallied behind that?
0: Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean. Listen, you could you could make the same case. That I, it's right, the sorry.
1: Masterton Award. It's not, has, does nothing. No, to no, I get, no, no, no. Game.
0: I'm not saying that I would have advocated for Oscar. I'm saying like, if I look at the Chris Stewart situation, so yes, it had been two years since he had been in the NHL. You could almost as easily make a case that this was a, a case of a GM that was just showing a, a loyalty and it was the only guy who was going to sign Chris Stewart to any kind of contract. And that it was more of a, like a, a thank you for years gone by or more of like a charity case. I disagree with
1: that though. I think that they looked at, I think that Chuck Fletcher looked at Chris Stewart as a guy who would show young players the right way to conduct themselves.
0: And maybe you're right.
1: I think that was a, that was, I think that was the strategy behind it more so than, Hey, you were, you played for me before. I really like you a lot. I'm going to give you a contract to kind of thank you for your past performance.
0: And maybe you're right, but there are 29 other teams that, that did not have reported interest in bringing him back. And it had been two years since he had played in the league. So I think that's, I think those are things that would work against him in that case. But again, I think it's a fine candidate and I think it's the interesting way that you look at the sport that I don't think if we had polled all the PHWA people in Philly, I don't know how many of them would have come up with Chris Stewart. So, and you're pretty convincing. So I think you probably would have, uh, you know, gotten some votes there. Maybe. All right, let's get to some positive, some happy things that have happened in uh, in our lives recently. I mentioned this off the lead of the show, but Snow the Goalie hit number five on Apple Podcasts for uh, hockey podcasts in the United States, and that is an incredible achievement that we will pat ourselves on the back for, but it's not because of us. It's because of all of the listeners. It's the thousands of listeners who every week listen to the show, download the show, Follow us on Facebook and on Twitter and soon on Instagram uh, who are potentially going to be buying apparel at some point soon. Talk about that in a second. But the thousands of people who listen to the show every week, we can't possibly get that high up the chart without the listeners. So a big thank you to everybody who's listening to the show. Seriously, give yourselves a yeah. on the back and thank you.
1: And let me just, just, just for clarification, just so we, just, you know, I don't want any people to start looking this up and tell you that, you know, tweet you that you're wrong. Um, we, we were number five uh, trending on Apple Podcasts through, according to Chartable, um, but that the overall, Historical number. We're still at 29,
0: which is a um, different. That's a different number, though. But yeah, that we,
1: is a different number. That, that's that's all time listens and downloads and stuff mm-hmm. like that. That's not. So right now we're trending at number five. Um,
0: we were down in like the 60s. So, well, I was going to just during, the, further than that. During the season, that. I think we were at like hundred something all time. The,
1: when we hit the pause, okay. When we reached the pause. We were, uh, we had just cracked into the top 100. I think we were at 81 or 83, something like that. Um, So since March, so we're talking three months, we have gone from 81 or whatever it was to 29 all time. Okay. But we have now trended with two of our episodes to top five. So it was Peter Luco got us to five um, and Chris Pronger got us to five. And I know the Mm -hmm. Ken Hitchcock one got us to around seven. Seven. I think it was Hitchcock was seven. So we've had a few episodes that have really done very, very well.
0: But this is the longest that we've held in that five range, five, yes. six range yep. over the course of an entire week, which is cool. And, and we've jumped to 17 in Canada. Yeah, that one was wild. That one's a lot of fun because yeah. I don't know if you know this or not. There are a lot of hockey podcasts <laughs> in Canada. Canada. They kind of yeah. like the sport yeah. north of yeah. the border. We so. also charted in Great Britain. In Australia, in Sweden, and also last week, For the first we time. cracked the, cha- the uh, charts in Deutschland. So, hey, Germany. I'll it. Who doesn't love the Germans? So, this is great. I mean, what's that, six countries? Yep. Six countries we're charting in. Now, I do also want to point out the fact that, um, you know, this was a, a thing that started from nothing, and that in the course of two years of doing this show – With no prior listenership, we didn't inherit a a podcast feed that had thousands of listeners already. And we're just like the people who took over for people who went on to bigger and better things. Like this started at zero. There was talk when we, you know, originally started the show about, you know, populating the crossing broadcast feed because there were a a substantial number of people listening there. And maybe, you know, we would just do every Tuesday with Snow the Goalie and we were just going to use that that one feed. And we went against it. We said, no, we want to start this from the ground up. Let's start at zero and see how high we can take this thing. So in two years, we've we've jumped and it's awesome. And it really does feel great. It feels reaffirming. And, you know, the people who don't like our show are probably upset that we're getting some notoriety and are probably upset that we're jumping up. And that's a okay with me. I mean, I, you know, it's,
1: it's fine. I mean, look, there's going to be no, no one's ever going to be beloved by everyone. Right. So we're not going to, we're not going to be that, that we're not going to break that barrier. Um, But the fact that me, the thing that I'm excited about is that people like what we have to say and so that they, you know, they like the fact that we get great guests on the show like Pat today and uh, Pronger last week and Briere and all the guys that we've had in the past.
0: Propp um, and Canoval and Poulin and yeah, and, and,
1: and then and then when the season's going on, we've we've had the current guys. I mean that's you TK know
0: and Av yeah. and yeah Lawton and Grant and who could forget good Hextall? <laughs> what are you singing a song? <laughs> There's Gordon and McKenna and we and someone Wheel. else. Wheel. All of them are in the vault. Yes, I, I was gonna. Remember the Animaniacs? Uh, you wouldn't remember, anyway. Yeah, I do remember Animaniacs, yeah. by the way. I have kids, of course. I remember right. Animaniacs. Animaniacs. That was my jam. But no, it is cool. It's yeah, but
1: about, it's great, and yeah. it's it's it's. I'm more I'm more impressed with the people who keep coming sure. back, you know, and listening to our show and and engaging with us on social media. Um, you know, and and it, it's great, and I'm you know, it's what makes me want to keep doing it. You know, if if it was just me and you sitting around, you know, BSing for an hour every week or an hour and a half every week and nobody was listening, like I I would be like, all right, enough of this. I I don't need to, I don't need to talk to you that often. Um, Sad. (laughs) But, but because people are interested and because people keep coming back, it's a motivator, man. It's a motivator to keep doing what we're doing and, you know, and to keep trying to find new things that will keep, you know, keep the show fresh and keep it exciting and keep people coming in. And, you know, hopefully uh, you know, we, we do
0: this together for a long time. I think we will. I think we will. We'll just keep growing. We'll just keep taking this thing to to new levels. By the way, we've had a lot of people uh, reaching out to us asking when there's going to be shirts or hats or whatever, and we're working on it. Um, there are two different avenues that we can go, um, and one of them is the Crossing Broad store, so I'm kind of working on that. I, I was messing around the back end of that. The only issue that we run into right now is because of COVID and because of the way that things have kind of gone down they're not allowing new designs for certain kinds of apparel. So like we could get trucker hats, we could get knit caps with the logo, but we can't get t-shirts right now. We can't actually modify those yet. So, you know, if you're listening and you're like, Hey, I'd love a mesh trucker hat. You just let me know and I'll put it on the store and you can go purchase it and we'll love it. I think we might even donate part of the profits to, uh, to something, maybe the coat made something with COVID, maybe with uh Cancer Society. I don't know, we'll come up with something. Yeah, we will because that's what we do. We try to try to be nice people. So, anyway, let us know. Send a message our way on Facebook or over on Twitter at Ant Philly, at Joy on Broad, at Snow the Goalie. Let us know what kind of apparel you would like from Snow the Goalie. And uh, we're, we're working on some special designs, some things that people will like. Anthony, I think you noticed we actually did pick up. Uh, a new five star review. We picked up a three star review, which I'm not going to read because it's not five. If you don't like us and you want to have your angry words read, you have to leave five stars. I'm not reading this three star review. Wait a second.
1: Wait a second. Wait a second wait. We've read less than five star reviews before.
0: Yeah, it's a new rule. I'm not reading it. <laughs> All right, so I won't so read this, it. No, no, no. I'm not going to read okay. it. I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to read it.
1: I'm not going to read it. But I want to say this. The the concept. This is the second time that where someone does not get the joke when you say we are the only Flyers podcast because we are. It's the second time someone has not gotten that joke. We are the only Flyers podcast. We can't. We we can only you can only lead a camel to water. You can't make them drink. Right?
0: Yeah. Stick to hockey is not a Flyers podcast. It's a podcast that talks about the Flyers and other things in the league. They are not a Flyers podcast. OMB PuckCast is a PuckCast. It says it in their name. High and wide radio doesn't say Flyers in it.
1: Are you going to trademark this? No, I'm
0: just oh. saying. They're, they're all good people. I have no problem with any of them. They all have lovely shows. You can go listen to them. They talk about the Flyers, but they're not the only Flyers podcast. That, of course, is Snow the Goalie. Listen, I, I think that people are just going to keep continuing to get upset. I don't know why. It's okay. It's okay. There are other shows out there that you can listen to too. Although that person
1: who left the three-star review who was complaining about that did say that the show was okay.
0: It's okay though. <laughs> sure. Still likes the show. <laughs> Meanwhile, our friend now, Lee C. leaves a five-star review and says, Chris Pronger interview. The Chris Pronger interview was very good and enjoyable. I enjoyed his comments regarding Briz, Mike Keenan, and Claude Giroux great job guys continued great success with your podcast thank you Lee see that's really sweet of you to say
1: that is very nicely very nice sorry Russ I'm a little distracted right now do I want to know why yes you do want to know why why because I'm going to give you a parenting tip nope I'm going to give you a parenting tip, a parenting tip. Me, okay is
0: this the son that you had like to a segment on on CrossUp up like a year no, ago no like, that oh, son
1: okay. is that son is 24 lives on his own
0: Oh, this is the one who graduated.
1: This is the one who just graduated high school. Yeah. Who's got nothing better to do with his day, right, than to sit around and play video games all day, right? Good for him. 18 years old. going to be going to Temple in the fall. Really proud of him. All right. We're sitting here. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. All right. This is the first time I see him today. Okay. First time I see him. All right. He wanders downstairs. His hair is a total mess. He's wearing an old Flyers Lindros t-shirt. Okay, looks like he looks just got out of bed. All right. And first time I'm seeing him, walks over to the fridge, takes out uh the, the thing of milk, opens the cupboard, grabs a box of apple jacks, and he's eating breakfast at three, a,
0: 3 in the afternoon. You, you you muted yourself there, Russ. Most of the way that you there described you him leading into that is how you are in the press box. You wander <laughs> in disheveled, hair a mess, wearing something and, you know, wandering in late. That's you. So in fairness, the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree. You can let him know. So you
1: want, you, we can tell him that, although I would, he just walked away. because he No, was you can come.
0: tell him that. Nobody has to listen to you tell your son the same thing that I just said. Tell him when we stop recording. The people have been listening to the show for long enough. We're probably at like, what, an hour and a half, hour 45? I should um, put him on camera so you could oh, see how he looks right now. That's fine. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, don't forget go follow us over on facebook.com snow the goalie, Twitter at snow the goalie, Instagram at snow the goalie. Follow Anthony at Aunt San Philly. Follow me at joy on broad. As always, look in the description of the episode. You can see all of this spelled out for you. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio app, wherever you get podcasts. And if you feel so inclined, please leave a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts. You don't have an account? Set one up and leave a five star review. We'll read it on the show. It makes Anthony smile. It yeah,
1: really leave, a f- leave, leave a leave a five star review, and uh, you know maybe send a message to my son that he should get his act together a little bit sooner during the day.
0: The Apple Jacks are what saved him
1: from apple. The from, Apple Jacks my saved him?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Apple Jacks are fantastic. Very the, underrated cereal.
1: Underrated cereal.
0: Very underrated.
1: He, he agrees with you. He's pointing. He say he's saying. Don't forget. He's underrated.
0: Uh, the Apple Jacks used to only be like the the peach-colored ones, and then somewhere late 90s, early 2000s, I think, is when they introduced the green apple, and that's when they started doing the mix. So keep that in mind. You
1: know, that's a good point. I do remember Heck when yeah. I was a kid that I used to just have – one color applejack and now yep. that they're now they're multiple colored and that's I guess, like
0: kicks remember kicks used to only be like kicks. the 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 tan manila color and then they had berry berry kicks and right that just became the mainstream kicks yeah i am your cereal expert if you well, have I a thought- cereal podcast out there <laughs> not the cereal podcast but like cereal <laughs> see if you have a podcast you want to talk about cereal have me on i've got a, an expansive knowledge of cereals including all of the aldi brand versions and um uh frankenberry who doesn't love frankenberry anyway count chocula
1: people?
0: count chocula love it
1: you know what my favorite cereal is and it's not Booberry. Even, you love booberry. i remember Booberry. i remember Booberry. is it does that still exist by the way yeah it does continue what okay my favorite cereal and you're gonna be like dude you're a fuddy-duddy but i i, I like crackling oat bran i have no idea what that is it's delicious I have no clue what that is. Cracklin' Oat Brand. Next time you're at the, at the supermarket, grab yourself a box of Cracklin' Oat Brand and then just sit there and eat it and be like, you're right. You're
0: absolutely right. I'm going to hit you with a deep cut. You ready? Go ahead. There used to be a cereal. I think it actually got killed off a few years ago, but up until I think it was like 2016 was a thing. Product 19. I liked Product 19. Product 19 was a very underrated cereal, and the thing that was great about it was very low sugar, high in protein, high in fiber. Uh, and also gave you some potassium, a very underrated cereal. While you go and you get yourself ready for a five-star review for Snow the Goalie, you come for the Hockey Talk, you stay for the cereal talk, feel free to include that in your uh, five-star review or hit us up on Twitter and let us know what your favorite cereal is. Um, Who knows, next week will we have another guest? I don't know. Will Mike Keenan finally get back to Anthony and hop on the show? I don't know. If not, Anthony's going to go into his uh, Rolodex And find another guest. He's kind of like, uh, I don't remember which Harry Potter book it was in, but Hermione Granger does the thing to the bag where it's just like never ending and she's just got like a full house or something in her little like handbag. That's Anthony with guests for Snow You just
1: Did you just call me Hermione?
0: I did. Hermione Granger. That's you. You are Emma Watson.
1: I'm more like the the reference I would have made to, to a kid's show, to a kid's movie would have been like Mary Poppins
0: constantly being able to pull stuff out of the bag. Having to listen to your takes and then try to, uh, you know, keep the show listenable is <laughs> a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down in the most delightful way. Yes. I wanted to hear you sing it though, Russ. <laughs> nope. That's it. Thanks for listening to snow. The goalie, the only flyers podcast, the people's podcast, the players podcast, the prognosticators podcast, the presidential podcast, the pronger cast, the prop cast, the canoople cast, the Patrick sharp cast, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Subscribe okay. to Snow the goalie. The only Flyers podcast.